Anyways, we're going to start a new series this month, um, and it'll actually kind of bleed over into December also. A series on Daniel. And I just wanted a chance to put a lion's face on the screen. So anyway, so no, the, the series title is called Daniel, Faithful Living, Faithful Living in a Fallen Land. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go across the border, uh, go into another country, but I remember as a young person, I kind of had a, um, a fear and trepidation <laughs> that was instilled at a young age because I had heard of a news story back in the early 90s of a guy named Michael P. Fay. I don't know if that rings a bell at all. He was a native of Ohio, but had been living in Singapore for two years going to school. And in 1994, he was uh, convicted of vandalism in Singapore. And do you guys remember what happened to Michael Fay? Yeah, he was, he was caned four times. It was, it was kind of a legitimate punishment uh, for that kind of crime. And I just remember thinking, wow, when you're in a foreign land, you better follow the rules. <laughs> you know? And so um, there, there are certain things. That, that was the impression of my young mind. Oh, man, when I go overseas. And so you can imagine when I went on a mission trip that involved some travel through Singapore, I did not chew gum. I did not, you know, I made sure that all my trash was in my pockets and stuff. Anyways, when you're in a foreign land, you really want to abide by the rules, so to speak. But what happens when the rules of that land are contrary to your personal values? What happens when the rules of that land or that foreign space, whether it's a geographically foreign space or just someone else's house, what happens when the expectations or that that school or that workplace, what happens if the expectations there are contrary to not just your personal values, but your moral values, then what? And that, I think, is where Daniel found himself. Daniel, if you know the story, go ahead and take your Bibles with me. Go to the, the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, a little bit after Psalms. You've got the big prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Daniel comes right on the heels of Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 1, you get a little bit of an introduction to the experience that Daniel had in this foreign land. Daniel wasn't sightseeing. Daniel wasn't on a cruise. He, he didn't want to go to Babylon. He was taken there. He was taken there. So if you're there in Daniel chapter 1, just look at a few things that kind of set up the story that we really want to zero in on today. Daniel chapter 1. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right, Daniel chapter 1. And it says this, give some historical setting, context and stuff. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and did what to it? Besieged it, right? Besieged it. In other words, he didn't have friendly intentions for it. He was trying to take it down. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Speaking of Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God was behind this somehow with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. Just follow this. This is a foreign king coming into the land of Judah, taking things from the temple that is supposed to be the dwelling place of the God of Israel. And as he comes into the temple, he takes things from it and puts it in his own God's temple. As if to say, my God is bigger than your God, right? And uh, it says there in verse 2, And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. But he didn't just take things with him. Notice in verse 3, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants 
and some of the nobles. These are, this is like royalty, right? Verse 4, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Daniel, and then his three friends that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were actually not their original names. It was uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel and his three friends were taken as some of these young men, good-looking, without blemish, right, of royal blood. They were far from home, not because they were sightseeing, but they were far from home as captives. And I would say that they were far from home in a land that held values that were counter to their own. You you could say it was a fallen land. It was a land in which uh, they had fallen short of the glory of God. And and, uh, as they're taken to Babylon... Uh, the king and his, you know, his intentions for them, they are not great. They're wanting to teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Why? Essentially, they're trying to brain, uh, brainwash them. Okay? And then you get down to, I think it's in verse, verse 7. It says, To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. Do you notice that? To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. If you're not aware, these are names that are actually um, paying homage to Babylonian gods. Hey, you're not, did you know that Daniel, Daniel's name means God is my judge. That's what it means. And so the, the, the king of Babylon is saying, hey, your, your name, you're not going to be identified as God is your judge. You're going to be identified by worshiping Bel, you know, the Babylonian god Bel. And so they're, they're trying to really reroute their moral compass. So this is the land that Daniel and his three friends find them in. And I want us to, to just kind of get this picture because faithfulness in a land that has fallen is not an easy task. And yet if you know the story of Daniel, if you know the story of Daniel that that image brings to your mind, faithfulness is something that Daniel held on to. So the question throughout this this entire month that we're going to be talking through is how in the world did Daniel remain faithful? And how in the world can I remain faithful in my fallen land, so to speak? Um, I want us to think about this. Turn to somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you, and just ask this simple question. What does faithful really mean? When I think of faithful, when I use the word faithful, what am I trying to say? What does faithful really look like or mean? Okay, so go ahead, take, take a minute or two, talk to someone to your right, left, front, front, back, and just ask each other, what does faithful really mean? We'll give you another 10 seconds to wrap up your Webster's Dictionary definition there. (laughs) All right. I heard some good things. I heard some good things. Would anybody like to share just kind of for the whole group to hear? What, What do you think of or what are you trying to say when you say faithful? Loyal. Okay, I like that. I like that. Loyal. Yes. Honesty. All right. All right. Yeah, that's definitely part of the faithful makeup. Okay. What else comes to mind? How do you use faithful in your everyday vernacular or to describe what kind of person? 
What else? Following through. Okay, yeah. Saying it and then actually doing it. Yeah, okay. True to your word. I like that. I like that. Trustworthy. Ooh, okay, okay. Very good. All of these things, and I'm sure more, you know, if we gave ourselves time. Um, we think of, you know, when I uh, talk about, or, you know, if a teacher is saying, hey, this is a faithful student, you know, they're doing what they're um, expected to do and what they're setting out to do. Or if um, uh, a spouse says, yes, my husband is faithful, you know, they're faithful to their commitment. They, they're doing what, they're saying, you know, what they say that they're going to do. Faithfulness is something that I think we all strive for. Faithfulness is something that I think we all long for. And the reality is that faithfulness is not always easy, especially when that faithfulness is being put to the test. And whether we know it or not, we ourselves are exiles. You know, Daniel was a captive. He was an exile to Babylon. Whether we know it or not, whether we know it or recognize it or not, uh, we are citizens of another kingdom. You know, we do not belong to this world. We are in the world, as Jesus said in John 17. We are in the world, but we are not of it. As followers of Jesus, our values are countercultural, and our faithfulness is constantly being put to the test. And that's not just true in the world at large. That may be true in your neighborhood, you know. You go to a neighborhood picnic, and people are doing things, saying things, eating things, drinking things that aren't necessarily things that you would do, right? Uh, you, you, this, I mean, your faithfulness, your, your uh, out-of-place feeling, you may feel that even in your office, your workplace. You may even feel that in your classroom. You may even feel that in your home. Where your faithfulness is put to the test. But the reality is that the times when it's hardest to be faithful, those are also the times when faithfulness can most clearly be seen. And so we're going to look at several stories in the book of Daniel, and we're actually going to start in Daniel's most aged years, okay? We're going to go to Daniel chapter 6 today. Um, that's going to be our focus passage, but I want us to see just a couple of things before we get into chapter 6. Go to chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. There's some really cool things, because Daniel was a man who, his faithfulness, his, his strong standing, he was faithful before God. And he was faithful before men. Just, I mean, if you've read through the book of Daniel, you realize that Daniel was like a superhero, okay? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 23, um, the, angel that, you know, the angel that God sends to help Daniel work through and process through some of the visions that he didn't understand, he says this to him in Daniel 9, 23. I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. I love that. You are greatly beloved. If you have the NIV, I think the words are, you are highly esteemed, okay? In other words, God thinks that you are awesome. <laughs> this is repeated, actually, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 10, or 10, verse 12, and also um, later on in chapter 10, 10, verse 19. Anyways, g- God gives Daniel this assurance. Hey, you are highly esteemed. You are greatly beloved. You are faithful. You stand out. But Daniel did not just stand out in God's eyes. He stood out before men as well. So go with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and um, we're actually not going to go through this month, we're not going to go through the entire book of Daniel. We're going to go through the narrative chapters of Daniel. In other words, the ones that are more story-oriented, not the ones that are prophecy vision-oriented, okay? So in Daniel chapter 6, there are a couple of verses here where we just get a sense of what Daniel was like. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. If you're there, say amen. Okay, Daniel 6, verse 3. It says this, Then this Daniel distinguished himself, okay? 
He stands out. Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. I'm not quite sure what a satrap is, but it sounds official. All right? <laughs> because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. This is pretty incredible. All right? This is actually um, this is King Darius, who is the king at the time of the Medes and Persians. Okay? Medes and Persians just took over Babylon, where Daniel also had a high place in Nebuchadnezzar's court. So here's a new king. And he recognizes right away that there's something in Daniel that sets him apart. And I love this verse, or this phrase, that he had an excellent spirit in him. There is an excellent spirit in him. The book of Daniel actually uses that word excellent or uh, exceedingly um, seven other times besides this verse. Two other times it's talking about Daniel, Daniel's excellent spirit or his excellent wisdom. Um, Other times it's talking about things that are just extreme, like in Daniel chapter 3, the fire that was exceedingly hot. Okay, that's, that's the word excellent there. Um, the, the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7, that dreadful beast that was exceedingly terrible, that's excellent there. Okay? So when you're talking about the spirit that was in Daniel, it was just, it was exceeding. It was through the roof. It, it set him apart. So much so that not just Babylon's king, but Medo-Persian's king uh, really distinguished him. And so the, the verse continues, Daniel 6, now verse 4. So, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was, what's the next word in your Bible? Because he was faithful. That's what mine says. Yeah, because he was faithful. Nor were, was there any error or fault found in him. There was no charge against him. They were trying to find dirt on him because they didn't want this foreigner to be in a higher political position than them. They were trying to find something to accuse him of, but they couldn't. They couldn't find any story, any mud to sling at him. They couldn't find anything. And here's Daniel, and it says, because he was faithful. I want us to see something. When we think about faithful, yeah, I'm sure we could define it in a lot of different ways. But when, when people can have full faith in you, you are faithful. Maybe you should say this, when God can have full faith in you, that's when you are faithful. When you live a life that's deserving of trust, when you live a life that's deserving of people leaning upon you and relying upon you and actually believing in you, a faithful person is someone that people can lean on because of their steadiness. A faithful person is someone that God himself can count on. Question, do you want to be faithful? Yeah? I mean, do you want to be the kind of person that other people can trust? Do you want to be the kind of person that God can say, oh yeah, highly esteemed. He's my guy. He's my girl. All right? I want that. I want that. I hope I'm not the only one. And, and when we're in a, in a culture that, that could care less, I think it's needed all the more. It's needed all the more. I, we all want to be like this. So the question is, how do we get that? How do we get there? Uh, let's keep reading the story. You know that the, these satraps, these uh, governors who weren't a fan of Daniel, they, they schemed, right? They, they tricked the king, Darius, to write a law that would basically create a charge against Daniel. So the law was that for 30 days, no one could pray to any god other than Darius, the king, all right? There was this kind of blurring of lines back then where the emperor was also divine, or at least that he was perceived as divine. 
And so um, here the, the, the satraps and stuff, they say, okay, we can't find any dirt on Daniel, so we're going to create a charge against him by focusing on his relationship to the true God. All right, so that's what happens. They, they write this law, they construct it, and it says in verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they write a law that is contrary to Daniel's moral principles. And again, the prophetic overtones of this are so clear. Like there's going to be a time where laws of the land are written that are contrary to our spiritual moral values. King Darius signs the written decree, it says in verse 9. But then in verse 10, what does Daniel do when faithfulness is put to the test? When life gets bumpy, what does faithfulness do? Answer, it goes home. <laughs> Look at it, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what did he do? He went home. He went home. What did he go to home to do? Go home to hide? No, yeah, he went home to pray. Yeah, he went home to pray in the open. All right, let's read this. Let's read this, okay? And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. Not just once, but emphatically almost, right? Three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Oh man, let's, 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 let's let this sink in just a bit. I mean, I think we all know that Daniel went home to pray. We all know that he prayed, but I want us to see how he prayed, okay? A couple of things here that stand out to me, just the verbs, the verbs here. Um, and in his rubber room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, we're going to save that one for last because that's kind of the, the, the stinger, okay? Uh, notice what he did. He knelt down. There's something about what Daniel does here, how he goes about praying, that reveals the kind of character that he had. It reveals um, the kind of person that Daniel was. So one, he knelt. In other words, he recognized who his true king was. You don't kneel just before anybody. You kneel before the one that you pay utmost homage to. I don't see, I don't remember a time where Daniel kneeled before Darius. I don't remember a time where Daniel kneeled before King, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, obviously he respected them, he revered them, but Daniel knelt. He knew who his true king was. The other thing it says, he knelt down on his knees how many times that day? Three. Three times that day. In other words, he had a a repetitious regimen about him. He was focused. He was persistent. He was consistent and even frequent. The other thing that it says here is he knelt three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. You know, it's interesting that it doesn't share the content of this prayer. It doesn't say that Daniel was praying that, that Darius would turn a, an eye, you know, that he would just like look away from this or that he would uh, re-unwrite the law or whatever. It doesn't say the content of the prayer. It just simply says how he prayed. And as he's praying, he actually prays in a thankful, grateful sort of way. He gave thanks before his God. In other words, Daniel was a man of deep gratitude. As we're kind of leading up to, to Thanksgiving and stuff, just to realize that, you know what, um, Daniel, when he prayed in his faithfulness, apparently gratitude was part of that faithfulness. He prayed with deep gratitude, and I would say it was believing gratitude. It was, he was thanking God even before any circumstance had changed. He was thanking God even before he got word that things were going to be fine. He was still thankful, though he was threatened. 
Can you be thankful when you're threatened? Do you have an easy time being thankful when you're under fire, so to speak? Daniel was thankful. He, he gave thanks to his God even before the turn of circumstances. And the other thing that I want us to zero in on here is, as Bill was pointing out, he, pay, he prayed out in the open, right? It says here, with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, what in the world was Daniel doing? The kneeling was fine, right? The, the three times that day, that would have been fine. The giving thanks to God, that would have been fine if it was just in his closet. But why? Why would he go about this uh, in such an open fashion with his windows open, specifically toward Jerusalem? Was it just because Daniel was uh, trying to kind of rub his nose? <laughs> I mean, was, was he, you know, was he just trying to say, hey, king, you know, was just being defiant? What, what was this about? I don't, I don't think of Daniel as defiant. But what was motivating Daniel to open his window? I would submit this that Daniel was following the prescription of God's word. Do you realize? Actually, maybe we can find it together. Um, I didn't look this up before, but I think it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So hold a finger in Daniel 6. This is incredible. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it's on the heels of Solomon um, dedicating the temple that he had just spent years and lots of resources building. And in... um, in Second Chronicles, oh boy, I hope I'm not going like on a wild goose chase here. Do you, can you help me? <laughs> All right. But in Second Chronicles, um, Solomon is praying. I think it's in chapter six. Okay. Oh come on! <laughs> when they sin against you, and you become angry with them. What verse? <laughs> 621. Thank you. That's my walking concordance right there. Anyways, all right. Second Chronicles 621. Okay, so here is Solomon. He is praying. He is asking God to dedicate this temple and stuff. And notice how he says it in verse 21. And may you hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Ah, there's something even more specific. I think it's later down in verse 36 and 37. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near. Okay, so totally describing the experience that Daniel and his friends had um, gone through. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive and pray toward the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and toward the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. All right, this was generations, hundreds of years before Daniel ever entered the scene. And when Daniel is actually a captive in a foreign land, he is looking for scripture to give him direction. Like, God, is there any hope for us here? 
And I imagine that Daniel, in his study, as a teenager, when he is taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, I imagine that God brings to memory these verses that Solomon himself prayed in the temple that he was being ripped away from, okay? And as Daniel is hearing this, he says, you know what? If I take this promise for real, and did you notice how it says that this was his custom since his early days? I imagine as a teenager, Daniel and his three friends say, hey guys, the word of God says this, so let's do it. So they get on their knees and they do it three times a day, evening, morning, and noon. As it says in, I think it's in Psalm 55, um, to pray to God, to cry out to God, evening, morning, and noon. And they're taking God at his word. They're wanting to pray towards the temple. And this is why Daniel is so adamant about this. He has this relationship with God where he is so bent on God fulfilling his promise that he is not going to get in the way of God fulfilling his promise. He longs so badly. He trusts God's promise, God's word so deeply that he will do whatever it takes to be a part of fulfilling God's will here on earth. Even if a king's law should suggest otherwise, he says, no, no, no. God's word and God's promise are more valuable to me. Ah, that's huge. That's huge. He wasn't going to let a human king's law get in the way of the word of God or his time with God. When we see how Daniel prayed, we understand why he prayed. Like Jesus, I think Jesus said it really well, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Daniel understood that. Daniel prioritized the things that God prioritized. And when push came to shove, or when push comes to shove in our own lives, I think we all long for that kind of steadfastness. I think we all long for that kind of uh, uh, faithfulness. We all want to be faithful like Daniel. But I want to say something here very clearly, that faithfulness doesn't happen overnight. Do you hear that? Faithfulness doesn't happen overnight. Faithfulness doesn't happen at the flip of a switch. We don't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be faithful. (laughs) Faithfulness doesn't happen overnight. And notice that phrase again, as was his custom since his early days. In other words, Daniel had been in the habit of praying and of seeking God's face according to the promise of God. Daniel had been in this habit. Daniel's faithfulness stemmed from the habits of his early days. And I just want to talk specifically to our young people. Um, Young people that can't see me. Young people that can see me. (laughs) Specifically to our young people. The habits that our youth indulge today or sharpen today will determine their their destiny. The, The habits that we that we think are inconsequential, actually have huge consequences. <laughs> you may not think it's a, it's a very big thing to, you know, um, say in the school cafeteria or wherever you are, to actually bow your head to pray for your food. You may not think that's a big deal, but, but if we have a hard time being true to God when it's easy, think about what's going to happen when it's hard. Um, and Daniel's faithfulness in his old age started with the habits he built in, it, within his youth. And that's why I think in Ecclesiastes 12, verse, uh, verse 1, it says this, Remember now your Creator in the days of when? Of your youth, right? Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Notice, before the difficult days come. Before the hard stuff comes. Um, and so, yeah, just a shout out to our young people today. Man, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Build habits now. 
that turn your heart to God. And I would say, you know, whether or not we are young or, um, or more experienced, more seasoned, the principle still applies. The habits that we engage today actually determine how we stand tomorrow. Our faithfulness tomorrow starts with the habits we build today. We want faithfulness on the public stage. It stems from the habits that we built in the private, lit, in the private stage. Um, and here, essentially, is, is kind of the kicker that I think that Daniel really demonstrates. He demonstrates heroic faithfulness, but it didn't come from out of thin air. Heroic faithfulness before men stems from habitual communion with God. That's the big idea. You want heroic faithfulness. You want faithfulness that will stand the test of whatever trial or test. Heroic faithfulness before men stems from habitual communion with God. The secret of steadfastness. And we're going to take a look at several secrets of steadfastness in Daniel's life. You know, we're starting here in chapter 6 when he's more in his aged years. But we're going to kind of work our way backwards. Next week, we'll look at chapter 4 and chapter 5, and then the following chapter 3, and then chapter 2, and then chapter 1. And that's kind of how we'll work backwards, because we're, kind of, we're, seeing, we're starting with the end in mind. Yeah, we want to be like Daniel, faithful even to the lion's den, you know? We're starting with that end in mind, but realize that that came from somewhere. It came from habits that started in his early days. He- heroic faithfulness before men, it stems from habitual communion with God. We see it in the example of Daniel three times a day. Three times a day, seeking God's promises. But we also see it in the life of the apostles. I don't know if you're aware of this. I mean, the apostles, uh, we, we see Peter denying Jesus. We see Judas betraying Jesus. We see all the rest of the disciples run from Jesus when the mob comes to arrest him. But after the resurrection and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's a time in Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, where Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders and they're commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. And, and what, is, what does Peter say? Hey, we ought to obey God rather than man. Oh man, that is faithfulness to the core. Somehow or another, their fickleness turned into faithfulness. And I love it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says it very clearly. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where did the apostles' courage come from? It came from their communion with God. Do you see it? Daniel stood faithful because he was habitually talking with God. The apostles stood faithful because they had been with Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself, Jesus himself. You think about it, in Mark chapter 1, there's this interesting story where in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that Jesus went to a solitary place to, to pray long before daylight. And then in the subsequent verses, 36, 37, 38, this is Mark chapter 1, the disciples come and they find Jesus. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And then Jesus turns to them and says, you know what? We need to go somewhere else. (laughs) He didn't go along with the expectations of humanity, but out of his communion with God, where he is solitary in the quiet place with God, out of that secret time, he was able to say, you know, I'm going to stay faithful to what I know God wants me to do right now. How did he do that? It was from his secret time with God, his time alone with the Father. I mean, you think about it. Before he was faithful at Calvary, 
he sought communion with God at Gethsemane. Do you see the pattern? Faithfulness, heroic faithfulness, it stems from habitual communion with God. And so today, the question is simply this, how, how is my communion with God? <laughs> is it habitual? Is it even existent? I think, I think if we were all very honest, we would say that we know we need habitual communion with God, but the, the actual practice of it, the actual embrace of it, um, maybe there are questions like, how do I even make that meaningful? I mean, I was talking with someone um, last week and just kind of having an honest moment. You know, how is it? How is your walk with Jesus? You know, I want to pray. I want to study. But I just don't know how to make it meaningful. When I open the Bible with other people, you know, it's awesome. There's group study. There's, you know, it's deep. It's meaningful. But when I'm by myself, I open a Bible and I see a sentence and all I see is a sentence. You know, does anybody resonate? I don't know if anybody else feels like that. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I was given a calendar of reading the Bible through in a whole year. And I followed it along. I did it. I was, uh, I think I was 14 at the time. And um, all my memory of that, I have no idea what happened to that time. My, my visual memory of that, I'll tell you, is blurry because that's, it's me falling asleep. Um, so the question I want to ask today is, how do we make this practical? I know I need habitual communion with God. I know I need to be with Jesus. But how can I, how can I do it? All right, so I'm going to share four things, four things from Daniel's example that I hope that we can take away, maybe at least one of those things, to make our time alone with God more meaningful, okay? So the first thing, time alone with God. The first thing is this, be physical. <laughs> be physical, what are you talking about? Remember Daniel 6, verse 10? Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down. Part of his time alone with God was physical in nature. Jesus, long before it was daylight, he went out into a solitary... He was active. He moved. He went out into a solitary place and prayed. There's something about being physical. Um, you know, Daniel, he, he went to his upper room. He opened the windows. He knelt down. Um, actually putting yourself in position to converse with God. Putting yourself in a physical position to converse with God. Andy was sharing with me the other day that he'd come across a book where it suggested actually like sitting down and setting another chair, right? Yeah, I haven't asked you to see how that's been going. But um, anyways, but there's something real about that. There's something concrete about that. I heard it said recently that, um, you know, when you're trying to manipulate your physical environment, Make sure to get out of bed first, okay? <laughs> he said it's not so much, when it comes to devotions, it's not so much mind over matter, it's mind over mattress. Yeah? Can, you re- can you resonate with that? So yeah, physically kneeling, that, that is much different than lying horizontal, right? <laughs> um, getting out, opening a window, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a physical benefit to that. Actually walking somewhere, there's a physical liveliness to that. So get physical, if, you, if you're finding that you're having a hard time in that mind over mattress battle, get physical, okay? Get physical. All right, so that's the first one. Um, meaningful time alone with God. Get physical. The next one is get focused. Be focused. Daniel, he was focused on Jerusalem, right? That's what his heart cry was. And that focus on Jerusalem wasn't just his own dreaming. It wasn't just his own desire. That actually came from the Word of God itself. We saw it in 2 Chronicles 6. And here's the thing. When we're praying... Sometimes we don't know what to pray about or talk to God about. I would suggest this, taking your Bible just as Daniel did 
and give yourself a target in prayer. Does that make sense? Daniel was, was laser-focused in his prayer because of what he read in the Word. And I think when we pray, we can actually take the Bible and ask God, God, give me something to pray about. This is really interesting because for us, what if we, what if we opened the Bible with an eye for directions about what to pray for? You know, not, not just opening the Bible to understand a story or read something new that might make us feel warm and fuzzy, but actually reading the Bible for direction about how to focus, how to, how to pray. Um, I would suggest this, that reading the Bible like that would actually enhance your prayer time, and prayer time would actually enhance your Bible reading. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, those things are going to, they're going to go hand in hand. The, the perspectives that you'll find, uh, or your perspectives, you will find that your perspectives are shaped by the things that you read. So I'm reading through the story of Daniel. Or like uh, yesterday, I was reading through the story of Elisha. And, um, you know, the different kings that he was prophesying to and just sharing these messages of, of warning and reproof and things. And, and I read those things and I realize, you know what, I need to pray that, that I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't find myself in a similar condition. Right. So in other words, I'm reading something and I'm not just understanding the story. I'm finding focus for prayer through what I'm reading. Does that make sense? I mean, this is, I hope that, that's helpful. And I think Daniel did the same thing. He had a specific focus in his prayers. Why? Because of what he was reading in the Word. All right, so time alone with God. Be, uh, be physical. Be focused. Here's the next one. Be frequent. Be frequent. How frequent was Daniel? Three times a day, all right? Three times. And it wasn't just three times singular, you know, I mean, three times period. It was three times a day. He had a daily habit. He had a frequent habit. And I wonder if we can do the same. Just establish some set times. And I would just say establish multiple times. Even if those set times aren't very long, um, I heard it said little and often. Little and often. I mean, that, that will make a huge impact. I mean, I think, think about the set times that you have in your life. Maybe it's a set time to show up at work. A set time to show up in your classroom. A set time to, um, you know, to get, get the kids to school or whatever. And usually... Probably over 75% of the time, we are there, right? <laughs> at least I, I hope we're there. Um, <clears throat> and I, I found myself just realizing, yeah, I'm more faithful with those responsibilities than I sometimes am with my desire to spend time with God. And I asked myself, why is that? I think there are a few factors. One, there's a set time for it. Two, there's probably consequences if I don't meet that set time, Right? Whether it's a, a tardy slip or detention or, or lack of wages. I don't know what the case would be, right? There, there, and so it kind of makes me wonder, well, what if we positively incentivize ourselves by spending, you know, hey, when I spend time with God, um, you know, I'm going to, I don't know what, an extra scoop of, of whipped cream on your pancakes. I don't know what, what, the, what the incentive would be for you that would be appropriate. Appropriately incentivize yourself. What if there were positive consequences to spending time with God. There are naturally built-in positive consequences to spending time with God. We already read it in Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. You're going to find positive consequences whether or not you give them to yourself. God is going to give them to you. Anyway, so get frequent. Um, set some times. Maybe, you know, set, set your daily expectations. Set, set a calendar for yourself. I've got actually now f- several phone alarms that tell me to pray. Um, 
at 805, 905. You know, I, I just set myself some phone alarms and I labeled them what I want to be praying for at that time. And sometimes I'll do it. Sometimes I won't. But the fact is that I'm trying to be intentional. And I hope you can find some frequent intentionality, setting times to pray. And I hope that makes that more meaningful. So be physical, be focused, be, be frequent. I tried to, to find another word that started with F or PH, but it didn't work out. But <laughs> here's the last one. Be grateful. Be grateful. Sometimes our, um, our prayer lives grow dry because we're just asking all the time. Sometimes our prayer lives grow dry because we're like a, um, an, uh, what does it say? It's in Psalm 131. Psalm 131 says, like a weaned child with his mother. Uh, like a weaned child with his mother, so am I with you, God. And that's the kind of thing, like when, when a child is nursing, they're very demanding. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> but when a child is weaned, they can hang out with mom and just sit and be content. There's something about that. When we're grateful, we don't always have to be asking God for stuff. We can appreciate what he's already given. We can focus not on what we don't have, but what we've already received. And so, for you, as you're wanting to stand faithful, if you want heroic faithfulness that stems from habitual communion with God, I hope that you, you, and, I, you and I can find some, some practical things to take away from here. Essentially, the appeal is this. Build a daily habit of time alone with God. Daily habit. Time alone. And faithfulness will grow from there. The story is told of, uh, of a, a teacher who gave his classroom um, a few weeks to study for their final exam. And I don't know if you've ever had these teachers where they say, hey, you know, you can bring an index card of, of some notes, you know, uh, for that exam. You, and I remember trying to write so small on those things. <laughs> it was a chemistry, t- yeah, anyways. Um, but the story is told of a teacher who actually said, hey, bring an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Whatever you can fit on that eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, you can bring with you to the test. So kids, they stayed up flipping through their textbooks, making sure they got all the formulas, all the things right, and stuff like that. I think it was uh, like an um, uh, entry-level algebra college course. Anyways, so test day comes. Everybody's got their sheets all like packed out, magnifying glasses to boot and stuff. And then here's this one kid that comes in a little bit later, very confident. And his sheet is empty, blank sheet of paper. Everybody's kind of looking like, what? You didn't, what? How's that going to help, you know? And um, he smiles, he smirks, he puts down his backpack, he sits down, and he rests the paper on the ground. And 30 seconds later, an advanced math student comes and stands on that paper. And throughout the whole exam, he's just helping him through, coaching him through anything he could fit on that paper. You see, the thing is this, that when it comes to standing through the tests of life, It's not so much what we know, but who we know. When you build your habitual communion with God, it's not just going to be you're learning the facts of how to to navigate through uh, different issues and stuff. It's because you have this relationship with God that takes priority over everything else. Do you want to build that kind of habitual communion with God? Do you want to build that kind of relationship with God that takes you through the test of life? Derek's still scheming about how he's going to bring in an advanced student. Anyways, it's, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. All right, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
We long to stand faithful through any test that life brings us. And we realize today that Daniel's faithfulness came from from the fact that he knew you. The apostles' faithfulness came because they spent time with you. Jesus himself, his faithfulness, stemmed from his time alone with you. God, we want our faithfulness to grow out of our habitual time alone with you. Thank you so much, God. I mean, this is a message that, um, that bears repeating because we need this every single day. And so I pray that the practical things that we've shared today would, would really uh, be turned into action. Lord, please, cause us to grow in our time alone with you. Lord, I pray that, that as we you know, wake up tomorrow morning, fall back an extra hour on our hands, what a perfect time to set aside some, a gift of time to you. Uh, Lord, please, teach us how to have time with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, friends. Happy Sabbath to you all. God bless you. Give someone a hug on your way out and spend your time with Jesus. God bless.